brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, four videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Happy days are here again, Higher Side Chatters, doing the thing from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and it's unfortunate that not only do we have to deal with greed, corruption, and winner-take-all capitalism in the realms of food and medicine, but I'm not even sure the people with their hands on the wheel realize what makes good food and medicine. And when most areas of modern science don't even factor in consciousness, how can they really know anything about the body, health, or even reality itself? Because if you ask the mystics, shamans, herbologists, holistic doctors, natural scientists, ether physics researchers, or Tesla technicians, they would say the fabric of reality emerges more like a song from the keys of the grand piano than from a random explosion at the beginning of time. That consciousness permeates from all things, nature gives us everything we need, and that engaging with the natural world makes these things self-evident. Many of the brightest minds like Victor Schauberger, Rudolf Steiner, Wilhelm Reich, and Nikola Tesla also advised us to derive technology and understanding from observing natural systems, recognizing patterns, and thinking in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. And when you see the worn leftover structures of ancient cultures and pyramid builders, it seems obvious that they too were in a whole different headspace. One that really seemed to serve their lives well, as opposed to one they lived to serve. Well, now more than ever, people are looking at the fruits of modern industrialization, academia, and corporate industry, and realizing there has to be a better way. And wouldn't you know it, today's guest, Dr. Bear Lando, has been working on a better way for over 40 years. For the unfamiliar, Dr. Lando is extremely accomplished, as he's traveled a winding path through athletics and academics to becoming a physician, bioterrain specialist, and permaculture farmer. He was both a pre-law and pre-med undergraduate student, recognized for maintaining a 4.0 GPA as a Division I scholarship football player and competitive powerlifter. His lifelong passion for the martial arts and surfing would eventually lead to studies in Chinese medicine and other alternative therapies, while raising his family in exotic locations from Fiji to Hawaii in search of better waves. After completing graduate studies in social psychology, he earned a certification from Stanford Medical School, then attended a four-year naturopathic college, and completed a Doctor of Chiropractic degree. 
In more recent years, he's earned his Master Gardener and Permaculture Design Certification and presently oversees his off-grid medicinal herb farm while teaching biodynamic farming methods and ionization soil analysis. Now retired from clinical medical practice, he remains active in the martial arts, health consulting, creating formulations for his herbal company, and developing innovative medical protocols based on the principles of waveform physics. You can find out more about him and his farm at alphavedic.com, as well as pick up high-quality spagyric tinctures and other products from his shop, and listen to the AlphaCast podcast, co-hosted by Dr. Lando and Mike Winner. This is a real treat, people, because he does more in a day than I do all week. The surfer, spagyricist, bioterrain teacher, and biodynamic do-gooder, Dr. Bear Lando. Welcome to the higher side. <laughs> hey, Greg. Really good to be here. I'm looking forward to this one quite a bit. And uh, you are definitely the master of the intro there. That's a show in itself. So uh, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. I'm really honored to be here. And thank you again for the invite. Oh, of course, man. Too kind. And what I do is not even a fraction as impressive as your resume, man. It's really hard to do it justice, but I wanted to try just to save you from repeating yourself again and again. But you've been very well educated in both Western medicine and alternative ways, which is so perfect because it puts you in a unique position to be able to get through to people still stuck in the Rockefeller medicine, Big Bang, Western materialist paradigm and introduce them to the better ways, which have been suppressed, mocked, and legislated out to the margins of society. And maybe that's a good place to start, because the people here, I think, really love these ideas intellectually and philosophically, but some might figure, well, if these alternative, holistic, natural ways are actually superior, and were once a lot more common, how did things actually get so backwards? How could the conventional models really win out and dominate like they do when they're not nearly as effective or accurate? Well, the short answer is they didn't win out. And what seems, I think, on the outside is just a fabrication of media and a whole facade because the truth has never gone away. A lot of us who have taken extra measure beyond our conventional education and put these things to practice to prove it in our own experience. There's a lot more of us out there than people realize. There's a lot more truth seekers out there than people realize. And I really believe we're on the cusp of the facade just crumbling. I mean, it's apparent. So yeah, it sounds like, or seems like they had a little bit of a temporary victory, but you know, we're really in the driver's seat. We've never not been in a driver's seat. And that realization is, I think, hitting home with a lot of people right now. Mm -hmm. Well said. And I do appreciate the positivity. I think you're making some great points. And when it comes to the history of how we got so backwards, I've heard you mention that the background of the AMA is a big part of the story. And I did want to at least touch on that because it's a lot more ruthless than people might expect. It isn't just some highbrow academic organization forming to oversee and consolidate medical science under one big umbrella. It was more like divide and conquer, I would say. W would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And, 
you know, I had a, a conventional background, you know, I just played sports, went through all my studies, graduate school, and my first certification was in conventional medicine. And I was as clueless as anybody else. But one thing I think maybe I brought to the table that's a little different is I did grow up in a bit of a different cultural background. You know, my grandparents were from different countries, different languages. They lived on the land. I grew up helping mom and dad in the garden and the orchards. You know, my cousins were dairy ranchers. And I had a whole different practical side of myself. We were self-doers because we had to be. And also sports is a very grounded practical endeavor. And I played at a pretty high level. And when you're engaged in those activities, you just want to know what works. And I saw the efficacy of, you know, when I was in the conventional side, because I was working more on emergency services. But beyond that, I really wasn't finding the answers that I was seeking as far as how does the body work and how can humans reach your higher potential, which led me into, you know, my what we'd say are my alternative training. And in naturopathic college, I got my first eye opening because we had to first semester take a survey course on the history of naturopathy. And what I found out was that naturopathy was actually the business of the day back in the 1900s. Naturopathic physicians were really considered the prominent physicians. It's who everybody went to. And these young upstarts that were peddling literal snake oil were the precursors of the AMA, they were very much shunned and rejected by the population. So it'd be helpful if Americans knew that naturopaths were the primary physicians at one time in this country. And the way that the conventional system as we think of it today got hold is just through amazingly ruthless tactics. We used to have Friday meetings, you know, in naturopathic college in our main hall there. And we'd always have guest speakers. And I used to sit next to this guy who was in his 90s. He was a naturopath who lived through those times. We got to be friends. He'd tell me all sorts of stories about how he was routinely sent to jail, how people like him were, you know, their families were persecuted, their houses were burnt down. In my survey course, I found out that there was natural healing libraries like in Philadelphia, four stories high, that were burnt to the ground and destroyed. And, you know, it was just really a takeover by force. And then finally, what they did by compromising our government, which was long compromised since about 1871, as you're probably aware, they delegislated the whole certification and licensing possibilities for naturopaths in the first place. So even if you wanted to be a naturopath, you couldn't. There was no license for it. I found that out in the 70s which is why I actually went to chiropractic college at the end, because in the state of California, where I lived at that time, they didn't license naturopaths. So I was still looking for a license back in those days to open up a private practice and chiropractic served the purpose. So that's eventually what led me to chiropractic college. But I'm glad I did because I learned a lot of good skills too there. So that was my eye opener and it just kept getting better over the years. And I've got a lot of stories along that line I can share that, you know, where I've seen a lot of my comrades, you know, bite the dust and, you know, really be targeted just for practicing real medicine. So that's how they've done it and how they continue to do it today by brute force. Yes, we have seen the brute force template applied quite a bit and many different stories over time. And that's a lot of great context and background as to why the natural way 
is a little bit on the more margins of society today. And it seems like they won a long battle, but definitely not the war. Do you think we're seeing or have already seen peak Rockefeller medicine? I believe it has peaked in its on the downside because as life expectancies decline, as they are plummeting right now, as people are finding out that pharmaceuticals and conventional practices, uh, you know, shock and all medicine, as I like to refer to it, really doesn't work. You know, people are just more and more seeking different solutions. And again, the only thing that the conventional size has left, because they have really nothing left to offer that's helpful, is just indoctrination and the propaganda machine behind them. And if it wasn't for that, they would have been gone a long time ago. In fact, they never would have got started in the first place. The other thing that's happening simultaneously is a lot of modalities and real science is again resurfacing things that were on the planet for thousands of years. And the one thing that has been contributed, we'll say by more contemporaneous Western science, you know, some of our different technologies, if they're used properly in context, they can actually be used to verify what people have always known in those other cultures and also actually improve upon them and then integrate it in a way that's more meaningful for the populations today. And, you know, I'm engaged and have been engaged for quite a long time in a lot of those technologies. So as the truth surfaces and their facade fades and they have nothing to offer except for things that are extremely harmful and becoming more and more apparent even to some of the most asleep people in our population, they've already experience or demise as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I like it. That has to make people a little bit hopeful given everything we've seen in the last year and a half. And I'm very interested in those technologies that can verify and prove these ideas. But let's talk a little more about the ideas themselves because in previous interviews, I've heard you mention several of the names I respect most when it comes to this sort of stuff, guys like Steiner and Schauberger. But I've also heard you say that what really connected all the dots and tied everything together was finding waveform mechanics and the work of Walter Russell, which is pretty new to me. But tell us a bit about his work and what you found so interesting and unique about it. Yeah, Walter Russell is unique in, uh, you know, there are many luminaries, you know, that I've studied and have mentored me in my studies. But Walter Russell is unique in that he has deciphered all of the old ways, you know, things that other greats have talked about and taught for thousands of years, you know, starting all the way back with the Pythagoreans and beyond them and more contemporaneously with people like Rudolf Steiner. And I just had sort of an intuitive sense of a lot about those people and just studied them on my own. But when I found Walter Russell, he actually broke down the mechanics of it to explain, let's just say to my left brain, how those things were actually possible. So I no longer had to be, you know, conflicted between my heart and mind, you know, where my heart's saying, oh, this stuff is right on. And then my mind quibbling because I'm trying to figure things out more in a linear mindset that, you know, we've all been trained in, in our conventional studies and just life in general in Western cultures. So I think that the biggest thing for me is Walter Russell by just laying out 
the mechanics we just loosely call waveform mechanics. It explains how those primal forces that actually originate from our thoughts create every facet of our reality. And it also explains how the larger canvas created by our creator came to being in the first place and how we all get to play on that canvas together. So for me, it was a great reconciliation between the heart and the mind so that I could regulate my left brain to what it's useful for and then have it shut up when it was no longer useful so that I could use my whole brain, you know, rather than just being in conflict. And a lot of our so-called scientists these days that have just been taught one half the equation, they have a hard time accepting some of these new concepts because they've never had it explained in a way and laid out so that the left brain could really analyze it and say, oh, that really makes sense. Mm. Yes, I like that a lot because that struggle that you're expressing between the mind and the heart or the left and the right brain, I definitely have it. And it comes up here a lot. And so what more can you say about the technologies that really helped you get over that? The technologies, the tools you use to verify and prove the underlying ideas of waveform mechanics or this idea that everything does permeate from thought to physical reality, that consciousness is primary. These things that are all in the kind of alternative paradigm soup that we hear about so often, how are you able to kind of rectify the the two sides of your brain using some of the tools that people might not be aware exist? You know, Greg, it's really a process. It's a personal process. And in a way, you could actually think of it as a spiritual journey. And like most people, I had to really digest one baby step at a time. And my first foray into what we call naturopathic medicine, you know, I was traveling in circles, the early pioneers of what we call clinical kinesiology. And with that were German doctors and doctors from France that were the last remnants of that original bioterrain medicine, we'll call it, from Europe, came to study with us because they knew we were making inroads into neurology in a whole different way. And in the process, they introduced us to traditional biotrain medicine. And biotrain medicine, if your audience isn't familiar with it, can simply be summarized as you treat the ecology of the body rather than disease. In fact, we understand that there's really no such thing as disease or pathogens and that the whole germ theory of disease was fostered by, you know, Louis Pasteur, who plagiarized work of like Antoine Bouchamp and people that really knew the truth. And of course, he was a cutout, like a Dr. Fauci type character of the day that was a cutout for the powers that be that emanate back from the old Royal Society. So long story short, I found firsthand by treating thousands of people that what they're saying was actually true. When I changed my focus from disease and even in naturopathic circles, I think we've become way too allopathic where we're maybe using non-toxic mediums and more gentle, intelligent ways of treating people. We're still making war in a more gentle way on the body rather than understand the body is a self-maintaining, self-correcting organism. So by treating that way for many years, I found that, wow, there's a design in here. All you have to do is understand how to work with it and the microbes and all of these things that conventional medicine taught us were the bad guys 
actually weren't. In fact, they were actually benign and beneficial actors in the process. So now with that experience, you know, I came to realize that, wow, what I learned along the way wasn't necessarily true. And, you know, your paradigm, your conventional paradigm through that kind of experience starts breaking down step by step. And like I said, I had another part of myself that was engaged in metaphysical studies. And, you know, that was another part of the process where I could now apply different technologies. You know, we would equate to maybe frequency medicine, you know, with Rife technologies, with sound and light technologies, with Asian medicine, you know, acupuncture, which I've been engaged with forever. And then applying acoustic modalities, you know, with acupuncture. And, you know, it just became apparent that the whole ball game, the way the body works and the way everything outside us works is by resonance. And so step by step, it finally helped me understand exactly what Steiner and Schauberger and some of these people you mentioned knew all along. And especially what people way back at the beginning, 5,000 years ago in Oriental medicine you know, when you start reading the old, like Sean Han Loon, you know, like the Bible of Chinese medicine, they're talking about five element metaphors and things, you know, and they teach in cultural metaphors that were appropriate for them. And here we are in our Western culture mind, trying to decipher that and make sense out of us. But then I realized, wow, the five elements, they're talking actually about frequencies, about keynotes. And so all the pieces just gradually fit together. And then, like I said, it finally led me to Walter Russell and waveform mechanics that just made sense out of the whole thing and created a cohesive whole. And now since then, there's many new modalities that have surfaced on the planet that I'm engaged in that allow you to directly work with those forces upstream so that I'm even less engaged these days in looking at things under the microscopes I used to. And we're just working primarily with those waveforms, like in fields of biogeometry, radiosecia, where you're literally bending waveforms that are putting those primal forces that are putting those biological events into play in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the mechanics of, of how thoughts work that Walter Russell really introduced you to in a way that uh, was, you know, paradigm shifting from your previous interviews. It seems like some of the details there are that he would say there's only one substance in the universe, pure consciousness. There are nine octaves and seven tonal fields within each one that kind of make up reality, that thoughts create an electrical vector that polarizes and branches off in two directions. And that causes a kind of vibration like a guitar string. And that polarization is what we pick up on as physical reality. And that seems to be kind of the gist, my layman's early understanding of, of what I've heard you explain in great detail. But can you elaborate on some of that? Is that the gist of uh, Walter Russell's Waveform Mechanics 101? Yeah, and, and that's a fantastic summary. I can tell you've done your homework there. And if our so-called scientists these days could just grasp what you just said, we'd be in a whole different reality. You know, the thing that we have to understand also is that our senses, as we think of them, our five senses are part of that fabrication. You know, just if you sit down with an electronic game, you know, you have a little screen there where you can see your avatar and 
you know, manipulate the controls and get feedback from what's going on in the game. And that's basically what we're doing here. And when you understand the principle of resonance and that thoughts are things that do exactly what you just said, you know, create the resonance by producing an electrical vector that polarizes and then creates a resonance that then are picked up within a little device within the game we call our five physical senses. And then it outpictures to us in all these different ways, gives all the myriad of nuances and characteristics that we're familiar with in our external environment, in our lives, the events in our lives, in our own bodies. But it's really not a physical thing. And, you know, I've had a lot of experience where you can have somebody that, you know, maybe has an issue and you're working with them in real time and get to the point where you've built up momentum through working with them over a while and they're simultaneously undergoing a consciousness shift in the process. It just naturally occurs. And now you can actually observe real-time changes on a person's body as you're working on them. For instance, something that just blew my mind a long time ago is I was working with somebody with eczema and, you know, we went through a little process with them and then, you know, got to the end of the treatment sequence that I did with them where I was doing a particular procedure and you could literally see the eczema, which was pretty gross, just start to fade right before your eyes. And we're both working there. My jaw dropped open too, even though I had a belief system as far as how it worked. But, you know, you start seeing things like that and you realize, wow, this physical substance as we think of it is the most mutable, easy thing to change. But the hardest thing to change is our minds. So if you know how to sequentially get to that point, you'll see miracles happen. Right on. I love stories like that. They definitely help to cement the idea that this is the way things are supposed to be. With examples like the eczema one you just gave us and other things that, like you say, sound miraculous and they do, it kind of makes it hard for me to believe that when there's all these conditions that people in the conventional system are just told to live with, based on the results alone of this more natural pathic medicine, how are there not lines around the block Word of mouth, just lighting the whole field on fire. It's hard to understand how just based on that, we don't have better results or, or just a, a more attention on this field. Um, well, actually, for some of us that have practiced it that way, we are very busy. We always had a two-year wait in to see us. But what we did do is that we practice in a private setting. Because if we didn't do that, we would quickly draw the wrath of the powers that be. And, and I saw a lot of people along the way succumb to that. I was targeted a couple of times. So we necessarily, those of us that are treating people with serious conditions, you know, we had people coming from around the world. We had little live-in units and, you know, nice grounds so people could be in a natural setting and, you know, kind of connect with nature between their visits. And, you know, we were very popular but popular within very closed channels. And we took great measure to make sure that we weren't in a limelight in any way. So it was kind of, uh, not just with me, but other people I knew that practiced in the same way, you know, we were always the best kept secret 
And the people that came to us came as consenting adults. They knew the game. Usually they came to us as a last resort because, you know, the system had given up on them. So by the time we got them, we had to spend as much time treating the treatment that they had received. You know, usually they were nuked and sliced and diced by the time they got to us. So they're pretty rough, but still they came to us and it was all word of mouth. And I practiced in a very favorable situation because, you know, I was, uh, had my practice in the islands, you know, it's kind of a, a nice close little community. So I treated a lot of the personnel at the hospital, some chiefs of staff of different departments. So they trusted very much what I was doing. So I could send my people in, you know, when I needed certain types of tests that I couldn't do in-house and then they'd say, okay, go back to Dr. Barry, you're in good hands. And so I got to experience the best of both worlds and what I like to think of as integrative medicine. And that's really the way I'd like to see things go because Western medicine facilities do have things to offer. And if they had a proper context to put their modalities and personnel and technologies to use, it would only be favorable to people that need help. So yeah, a lot of people find their way word of mouth, and that's growing day by day. And it's really hit the mainstream. You know, I've been retired for a number of years and I see a lot of the things that we used to talk about with our clients behind closed doors that are just now common knowledge. So it is shifting, but the people that are still in the conventional system are kept there by fear because they will be blackballed. They'll be ridiculed. I've experienced that in the past they'll lose lucrative careers. And then of course, their controllers who count on these physicians and practitioners to be their gatekeepers. They're of course, they have greater power to use the judiciary against you to do all sorts of things to make your life very uncomfortable and even worse. Again, that goes back to the beginning of our conversation. That's how they keep us in line and have kept what power they have so far, but they're losing grip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's totally reasonable and understandable that those are the kind of difficulties in the basically PR war. It's like, you can't really learn about this stuff unless you have a practitioner to work with. And if they're rare, then the whole field is going to be rare. And as you kind of alluded to, a lot of it is a mind war and that is the first step is convincing the world that these practices don't work, convincing Americans that Western medicine is far more advanced than any indigenous natural herbology stuff and you should just ignore it. I mean, when that is in place, that comes first and it's going to inform everybody's decision making. And one question I have for you, it's always kind of been a curiosity of mine is about thoughts because I have a lot of guests who tend to maybe work in the realms of the occult or the esoteric and they operate from this same model that thoughts come first and reality is derived from them. It's an idea I'm very attracted to, but if I use myself as an example, I've had a really fortunate life with very little tragedy or violence, but if I'm being honest, it's much easier for me to visualize tragic and violent things like if a car comes close to cutting me off, I go through my head on what would have happened if they did and all the gory details that would happen. Or if I walk around a corner too fast and stepped on my cat, 
These things don't actually happen, but the thoughts pop into my head much easier and clearer than when I try to visualize my actual goals or successes or anything like that. And maybe that's conditioning by society. I'm not sure, but I, I would imagine I'm not alone in that. So what's going on here? Why are like violent or bad thoughts maybe clearer or easier to visualize, but yet don't manifest? And what is that relationship between what's in our head and what's in our reality? Well, it's a twofold indoctrination system. Anybody, of course, that watches the medium or even studies medicine or law, it's all based on bad things happening. We're taught that there's terrorists lurking in every alleyway and whether they're microbes or whether it's some kind of human terrorist, everybody's out to get us. And so, you know, we are just engrammed at a very deep level from day one in our lives to believe that this is a malevolent universe and bad things happen. So, you know, that tends to be our train of thought. The second part that's even more devious is they've cut us off from source, especially through what we call science, which a lot of us call scientism these days because it is more akin to a religion, is, is it teaches us that, you know, we live in a material universe we're held together, even our own bodies, by these magic BBs that we call atoms. And that, you know, we're like these corks bobbing on a vast uh, ocean, subject to the whim of every ripple that comes along. We have no way to protect ourselves. We have nothing to say about it. Of course, that from the start was the beginning of the plan through religions that then morphed into what we call science to lead us in this highly superstitious state. So if we really feel that we're that powerless, it's going to be pretty daunting to most of us. And that's the way we were indoctrinated. And then they just give the one-two punch with constantly reaffirming all the bad things that are happening in the world and all the bad things that will inevitably happen. And that's why part of the population right now is just sitting at home waiting for the other shoe to drop. Well, that is true that we are conditioned to expect bad things to happen and plan for tragedy and fixate on the negative and what might get us, regardless of how well that matches real world experience. But this paradigm that thoughts create reality, it seems like something that we should be able to use, right, to improve our lives possibly, to either manifest our own goals. Are there techniques and practices for strengthening our minds and manifesting our best thoughts and positive goals that you're aware of? And how do we use like our emotions to help further this rather than getting in our own way? Well, you know, if we default to what we'll maybe call spiritual practices that have been here forever, you know, they all center around using our minds to visualize the reality that we want rather than just having these nonsensical thoughts chaotically going across our screen all day long. So you learn to use your mind in a little bit more of a disciplined way. Now that's pretty tough for people these days because people even have a hard time sitting down reading a book 
because they're so used to looking at things on their devices. And that is part of the way technology has been used against us. So somehow we have to get back to that place where we can bring a little bit of control back into our mindset and use our imagination. For instance, in Tibet, a good example is when they took young minds into the temples that were going to have a lifetime in more of a monastic society, the way they would teach them first is not just giving them information bits like we get these days, but they would spend a good number of years early on in their education using their mind, constructing very elaborate structures, you know, buildings, and you had free reign to create anything you want, you know, with rooms and hallways and levels and desk and drawers and, you know, and all these rooms. And once you did that and it became so tangible to you that you could go anywhere in your imagination in this creation, then they would start giving you bits of information. And then when you got that, whatever that morsel was, you could just go put it wherever you want. You know, you might go into a certain room and a place, put it in a certain drawer. You knew exactly where it is, just like you know where the keys to your car are and, you know, is in, in your own house. So it was real education where you learned how to use your mind, use your imagination to create very tangible things, and then take the information that might be useful to you and put it in a place where you'd never forget it. So, our education instead is really about giving kids abstract symbols, you know, as far as letters of the alphabet, mathematical symbols, and everything is really never real in the first place. And of course, on day one, we're taught that your imagination is not real, it's make believe, but somehow these little abstract factoids are more real. So we have to turn it around, I think, from childhood on. Now, adults can do it just as much, but it's going to take a little bit more effort for most of us that have had a lifetime of indoctrination. So imagination is the key. Well said. And on the subject of turning it around, I've heard you say that diagnosis has been inverted. We examine the after effects and we get lost. We've got to invert it back and determine a solution for a lot of the problems people are dealing with. And so I guess I would ask, when it comes to health and healing, if a person comes to you in a state of dis-ease, how do you approach them as a bioterrain specialist? If you're not trying to kill a virus or destroy a germ, can you elaborate a little bit more on how you go about diagnosis and then determining a treatment? It has to do with these... Uh, octaves and, and different possible readings that you might get, right? Sure. Once you get a little experience as a physician, the first thing I learned was you have to meet people where they're at. So if they come in and they've got a serious condition, first off, they're really, you know, in a state of angst and quite emotional turmoil. So if I start downloading a lot of information, it's going to stretch your imagination even further then you know, you're not going to get anywhere. So there's a way if a person is coming in from a conventional mindset and, you know, to just repeat, people would come to me as a last resort typically. So they were willing to 
try something new. What have you got to lose? The other side said, I'm dead. Go put my affairs in order. So I had that advantage as far as getting their ears from the start. But then, you know, we would start with things that were tangible. You know, I'd sit them down. I'd take samples of their blood, look under the microscope with them, explain things, just take it out of the mystical and really try to make congruous sense out of it. And then do measures that they were ready for, you know, where we start cleaning up their terrain, getting organ systems working better. And then, you know, we keep daily looking at their blood and they'd see real life changes happening. I'd explain to them the type of inside in-house labs that I would do and show them the results and explain as best I could what that meant. And then, you know, I do these labs daily and then you show them the changes and they get really encouraged that they can see that they're actually making progress. And as they make progress, their body is doing better. There's less stagnation in their meridians, in their circulation, their lymph and every facet of their body, their neurology. They start thinking a lot clearer and then you start having different conversations And, you know, before you know it, we're talking about things that you and I are talking about today, and it's not stretching them at all, which goes back to our earlier conversation. That's what we're all going through these days. We have to just start with where we're at, not try to be where somebody else is at or digest something that seems too far out. And the clearer you get about things, then you start looking in contrast to what we're taught in conventional science through the media and so forth. And it just doesn't make any sense anymore. In fact, it actually starts becoming, I mean, if it wasn't so tragic, it would be hilarious because it's incongruous everywhere you look. And, you know, when I was in just basic physics, you learn the law of thermodynamics as an example. And then you find that, you know, the different laws contradict each other and even before I knew all that I know now, I was just used to think to myself, well, how can that be if one thing says this and another thing says that, then that means one thing's not true and is a whole thing, a bunch of BS. But, you know, it's amazing. You have your PhDs, your doctors and everything that just never ask those questions because they're afraid to. So, you know, it's really a sequential process, I guess, to answer your question. Yeah, well, cheers to that. I definitely agree that it seems to come in mind-blowing waves that you realize that you need to take it further and challenge another thing and another thing. And when you look through a certain segment of industrialized society, you find that, oh, the old ways are right there. They're still preserved and they're far better. And I also wanted to maybe throw in a little bit about the microscope you use. You mentioned looking at people's blood, and this is something that's come up before because When a person goes through the traditional system, they're trained to examine dead things. And so no wonder we don't think there's a difference between alive and dead. But also the electron microscope isn't even a very good representation of the micro world from what I understand. And you seem to have a better way. Is that right? Well, there's a man by the name of Gunther Enderlein who took Antoine Bouchamp's understanding of the biotrain and that germs were actually a natural part of the environment. And then he developed the first microscope, what we call live cell microscopy, where you look at things in a live state, it illumines at a different angle from the bottom up. And then you put live elements directly 
taken out of the body onto the slide there and you can see things swimming around and you know in my conventional studies in histology you're staining samples of tissues and fluids so that you know it does bring out certain elements and kind of fixate them in a way that's useful in some ways depending on what you're looking at but it's not going to really tell you what's going on in an alive medium i mean it'd be like torching an external environment and then going out and looking at the aftermath and trying to figure out how life works in that environment and the first thing you understand in this kind of microbiology is that the cells are working in conjunction with microbes in a very intimate way and that these microbes that we think are the bad actors actually live within us all the time and you would see for instance the little seeds of these different organism families in the blood and then you'd watch them in real time progressing through these different stages that we would in conventional medicine call bacteria and fungi and some of these bacteria that if you took them at a certain phase and then cultured them in a conventional lab study you'd say oh there's streptococcus or staphylococcus and with the medics were not ever allowed to experience or see with their own eyes is how the progression of the seeds of those that we call proteids in german microbiology or somatids like people like gaston nasons visualized in his version of the same microscope he called a somatoscope you'd see these progressing through predictable stages and they'd always progress to a certain stage to provide a certain function for the body if a part of the body had diseased tissue or needed certain regenerative effects in certain tissues and any you know myriad number of things certain organisms progress to different stages in order to provide that function so when you sit there day after day and spend hours looking at this stuff you realize wow it's beyond conjecture that this system of conventional microbiology has it wrong from the very start mm I love it. All this stuff I think helps to take people who are still wrestling with which paradigm, you know, or getting out of the old paradigm. All this stuff I think helps them to see why things are so screwed up. And I've heard you say that if it was up to you, every doctor would take 4 years of permaculture and farming first, and that when you live and study in nature, you see the patterns and it resets even your own neurology. Can you elaborate on these things? How has engaging with nature and actually getting your hands in the dirt confirmed a lot of these ideas and strengthened your overall worldview? You know, if we start at maybe Asian medicine and look at what we think of as the acupuncture meridian system, what it is is a system that is constantly resonating with the external environment. and in a two-way fashion communicating that resonance from the external environment into the internal environment to create a moment by moment equilibrium effect so that you are in balance with your surroundings and that's its primary purpose even in acupuncture you know we've realized that there are internal meridian systems within every organ and that's another whole story so we could elaborate greatly on that but going back to the external environment everything out there is operating on the same principles and when you work with nature 
the more you spend time out there, it just becomes apparent and very palpable that this resonant factor is operating between us and the environment all the time. And if you're ready for that kind of communication, things become very tangible and you get feedback in the form of when you're growing things, you realize over time that the more you tune in in a certain way with what you're growing, that things respond very favorably. You also realize there's a whole communication system with the mycelium in the ground, like where I live in the forest around us, it's mycelium heaven here because we're in the Pacific Northwest. And then there's a whole communication between mycelium and the microorganisms. So it's a vast communication network. And then that again is communicating with us all the time. And when disease happens, as we think of it, it's because we have lost that communication nexus with our surroundings and we become dissonant with those surroundings. And that's where things start to go awry with the advent of factory farming and all the, the urbanization. Now we even tampered with the residents of nature. So not only does that affect nature and all the problems we see in our environment, but it affects us greatly. So doctors really need to get outside, put their hands in the dirt and understand that it's a communication system. It's a network of resonance that we are not only part of, but we can't be severed from. And if we do get severed from it, again, that's where things start going wrong. So farming follows the same principles that I practiced in biological medicine. The same way that I tend to my soil is the same way I tend to the people's bodies. And there's no difference between the two. We use even some of the same laboratory procedures to test people's fluids as we do to test the soil, where you extrapolate chemistry into electrical vectors and understand reality from that electrical vector context, which again are those primal forces that put things in the motion in the first place. So whether you're treating the soil outside or the body, when you use herbology, homeopathy, or any other modality, what you're really doing is very efficiently using those substances to adjust the electrical vectors rather than trying to make chemical changes. And then that's what's going to create that congruity of resonance within ourselves in the outside soil and then reestablish the communication between the two. Very interesting, man. Just the whole idea of assessing things at the electrical level. It's just a whole new way to, to think about dis-ease and problems in the various structures, whether they're in plants, soil, or people. And I'm just kind of curious, this might be a little bit of a weird one. I haven't heard you talk about these things, but have you ever pursued what they call Ormus or monoatomic gold or mineral alchemy? I mean, it seems to jive and be somewhat adjacent to the things you're talking about, but it definitely has a more esoteric flavor. But I am fascinated by those realms too. Do they fold into your overall umbrella? Yeah, Ormus orbitally rearranged monatomic elements, as we could call them. 
are transitional elements, is what I prefer to call them. Now, Ormus has taken on some mystical connotations in certain circles, and it does do amazing things when we get a regular supply of this so-called Ormus. You know, our bodies are, our nervous system should be likened to a superconductor. So that means, of course, signals travel unimpeded beyond the speed of light. And when that happens, we turn into more of our original self, which is a zero point energy. So it takes little or no input from the outside in order to operate us. We enter maximum efficiency. And when that happens, also energy systems open up that are a little bit stagnated in most people. Energy travels to the pineal and other places in our higher centers that open up our bandwidth of perception. Now, what Ormus really is, it's transitional elements that are between the keynotes of what we think of as elements on the periodic table. And Walter Russell understood that very much. So you could take maybe hydrogen and carbon, two different elements on the periodic table. Now, those are keynotes. And just like keynotes on a piano keyboard, you know, when you play a particular chord, you hear the harmonics, which is really the pleasant part of music. And that's that transitional, those transitional harmonics between the keynotes. Now, in nature, things are not cast in stone either even down to the elements. And if you take hydrogen, which is the beginning of the fifth octave and Walter Russell's understanding of the periodic table, that hydrogen is going to eventually, if you understand it as just an angulation of a waveform rather than a really physical substance, like hydrogen is about 33 degrees on the positive side of the equator of a waveform. Carbon is 90 degrees straight up. You know, that's kind of the, the pinnacle of the fifth octave, which is the basis of our playground here. We're in the carbon octave and the next octave up is where we're going. And it's just you know, we're traveling through the octaves into higher levels of consciousness. So as hydrogen eventually makes a journey and back full circle through all the elements, it might take thousands of years in the Earth's surface or beneath the Earth's surface, but it happens nevertheless. So if you take any element you can think of, it is going to eventually become every other element. And when it's in between the keynotes that we recognize as physical metallic elements, they're in a the pre-metallic ceramic state. And there's a gentleman, David Hudson, who was a soil scientist, and he discovered these back on oh, about 89. And I actually got together with him shortly after. So I started investigating Ormus, as it was called back then, from the very start. But Ormus is a terminology borrowed from more of an atomic theory of elements. But when you get into the waveform mechanics, you realize what they really are. They're transitional elements. They are in a state of becoming. Now, these transitional elements are also very powerful because they are the informational fields that our body needs. And just as any farmer will tell you these days that the basic mineral elements are very deficient in the soil and water, while these transitional elements are even more delicate and even more deficient, that's why we take great measure to concentrate these transitional elements. And there's ways to do this from the water and in other ways, and then combine them 
with the keynotes or what people would think of as regular minerals from like folic or humic sources and make sure that information is part of the package because it's so, so important. And it's really what we need the most. Otherwise, it would be more like digital music. Whereas when you start understanding the transitional nature of elements, you're back to analog music. And that's what our body thrives on. Wow, man. I'm glad I asked because you said so many fascinating things there. And before we really call it in, obviously you sell a lot of products on the website. People can also become a part of the co-op. Do you want to elaborate on some of the things they'll find for health and wellness on your website and how they can contribute to this prototype that you've got going on? Sure. I appreciate that. You know, we're at alphavedic.com. And, you know, the reason why we created a commercial enterprise is in order to self-fund ourselves and to create everything that we're talking about. It takes a lot of time and money. And, you know, this is a culmination of many decades of my life and learning. And so our products, you know, we're here on a new piece of land you know we're in our fifth year we we had a more developed farm elsewhere but we outgrew it so we're here doing the same thing recreating and the goal is one ingredient at a time we're growing it you know and it any farmer knows that you don't just go plant a bunch of seeds and grow everything all at once especially if you adhere to biodynamic permaculture principles it's not like mass factory farming you know where you just plow some stuff and hire a bunch of people and grow a bunch of stuff because, you know, more than just growing things, we also in the process want to grow topsoil for future generations because they might want to have something to eat too. And we want to improve the ecology where we farm rather than just take from it and destroy it. So our products reflect that. Now we have trusted sources where we get ingredients, you know, where we aren't capable of growing it yet, but every year we expand our crops so that a lot of our products will reflect more with what we're growing. And our goal is to have 100% everything that we have in our products is what we grow right here or in some of our sister brother, sister farms, like we have one in Hawaii and, and we've got other people that are interested. So in a cooperative method, we can pull our resources and have more ingredients that we can trust because we grew them ourselves. So that's what we're really up to. That's the way we fund ourselves. And the formulas that I create are not just putting in ingredients because they're the latest trend that everybody's talking about. You know, I create things based on their function. And what I've learned in my years of practice, how things really work and, you know, not just having an impressive ingredient list, which has everything that everybody's been hearing about. So they buy it, you know, we just design things a little bit different, but that's what we're up to. And I appreciate you bringing that up. Yes, man. The range of things you offer is very wide. So I encourage people to check them out. And also the AlphaCast podcast. These are podcast listeners. They should know that you do a show with a, a buddy of yours and you have some great guests and a lot of overlap with what we do. So I think they would also enjoy checking that podcast out too. But man, you really know a lot about a lot. I appreciate your time. There's so many different threads here that I know 
I definitely want to follow up on. And you make it all seem so hopeful. There's a lot of ways people can look at the world. And right now, it's hard to really focus on uh, what might be emerging when we see so many things kind of collapsing and so many of our friends and family being rooted in the old system. But I also think there's a lot of opportunity. And it's really, really exciting to talk to people like you and and really be on the forefront of a new system emerging. I mean, we quite possibly manifested here at this time for a reason. So let's engage with it and usher in the new world. So I really appreciate everything. And thanks for helping us on the path, man. Keep doing what you do. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Greg. And thanks again for having me. I really enjoyed our talk. You got it. Holy hell, praise be to he, people. What a good show. I cannot believe how impressive Dr. Lando's life has been. The guy has lived, no doubt. It's amazing that he went through such conventional routes and still ended up on the natural path path. It's slightly surprising to me that more people don't, but I guess only certain folks are wired that way. But man, Dr. Lando is clearly a wealth of knowledge, and he really walks the walk when it comes to applying this worldview to not only human health, but permaculture and gardening and just a holistic model for reality itself. I do remember Crow bringing up Walter Russell and waveform mechanics the last time we spoke, but other than that, this was pretty new to me. The general idea has obviously been in the air for a long time. But with Walter Russell, it's about the level of detail from what I've seen that makes it the most impressive. Reality just seems to be a stack of layers, seen and unseen, and corresponding elements making notes on the great cosmic grand piano. See, string theory is just stuck on the wrong instrument. But we covered a lot of ground, and it makes me feel a lot more confident that I'm invested in the right paradigm. Sometimes the full-court press of the system can cause us to second-guess ourselves, especially when we aren't necessarily experts in any specific discipline. But I trust the Bear Landos of the world. He lives out off the grid on a satellite internet connection, so I am sorry if our editing didn't clear up all the breakups. We even switched to Zoom after 20 minutes to try to improve the overall situation. But when a person walks the walk, there are inconveniences. That's the whole point of the COVID shot, right? If you don't get it, prepare for a slew of inconveniences. If you don't want to live in a smart city and you want to be a bit more off the radar, well, your internet connection also isn't going to be that great. We all have to decide where our line is and what level of participation we're comfortable with, I guess. But I respect the people who land on the same side of these choices as Bear does quite a bit even if it makes getting an interview recorded in an optimal environment a little more difficult. But as for this alternative treatment paradigm and some of the things that sound like healing miracles, as much of a believer as I am, I do still get caught up in how this stuff can be the best kept secret. That healing that is cheap, easy, and has no side effects doesn't just blow the suppression out of the water because it's so effective and so many people are in a bad state of health. Everybody's got an aunt, an uncle, or a grandma. And you would think if you see one person healed like this from a serious condition that the system says is unhealable, 
everyone in your family would adopt this worldview, right? I mean, when I asked, Dr. Lando did say he was very busy. He had a two-year wait, and he's often treating people who are seeking a last resort. They've been through it all. Their conditions are worse than they've ever been. And now you finally seek out natural healing and terrain-based treatment, and it still works most of the time. That's a big deal. And we hear that a lot, too. The alternative approaches have the best results with the people who are in the most desperate state. And I also think about the people I know. I know people with bad eczema and fibromyalgia and Crohn's disease and cancer. If I told these people about a lesser-known acupuncture technique or tuning fork healing, they would definitely just laugh. As much pain as some of them might be in, most of them wouldn't even try. If I came to them with a healed deaf ear, maybe they'd listen, no pun intended. But Dr. Lando is right in that it's really a mental thing. If you heard the last full show with Gordon, when we talked about healing my ear in the plus show, he pretty much said the same thing. A big part of the healing is knowing it can be done and then allowing it to happen. Maybe it's attached to some emotional trauma or baggage that needs to be worked out too. And I don't want to be bringing up the deaf ear thing every time I have a guest like this because it's not always a song about me. It's a song about all of us. And it probably sounds like a broken record to you guys. But I asked Dr. Lando about his thoughts on a possible solution for me off air. And he mentioned TAM acupuncture. And there are actually two places in San Diego that use that specific modality. And wouldn't you know, they actually list deafness as something they have had success with on their website. Which is so crazy, because there it is, right in plain sight. And 99% of people would think this kind of healing would be impossible. And it is pretty funny of me to think that I need to go to some off-the-grid shaman in the jungle for this sort of thing, when there seems to be a place in a strip mall in La Jolla just quietly doing their thing between a tire store and an eye tan. But the people practicing these things, they know the deal. They know it's poking the bear, and they probably just want to do what they do and stay a bit under the radar with a nice, quiet, little successful business. A sentiment I can certainly understand because I feel the same way about what I do. I get enough attention, and I really don't care if YouTube shuts us down or if the free audience even expands at all. I wish more people would convert over to the Plus Show, but we've heard that story before, right? Anyway, I am glad I got that Ormus question into the first hour. Transitional elements is a great term to think about these things, actually. And from there, the Plus Show got pretty wild. Bear explained how alive our thoughts really are and the five electronic levels. We got into trying to understand what spiritual forces really are and a better model for human anatomy, herbology, spagyrics, and alchemy. Dr. Lando's process for assessing a person and finding the right tool for the job. German new medicine, which some people have been asking me about lately. How vaccination affects the soul conscious commerce, and a bunch of other little tidbits. Really interesting stuff. If you're just here in the free first hour, you're missing out. Conscious commerce is a good one. I like mediums of direct exchange outside of the system. I actually haven't paid for coffee beans in at least a year because two different coffee roasters listen to THC and we trade. Wind and sea coffee, 
if you want that sweet, sweet CBD-infused goodness. And Lab Notes Coffee, another great company who makes a great product. I've traded THC Plus for all sorts of things. Coffee beans, artwork, crystals, vaporizers, glass, supplements. I'm very willing to do that. I don't really need any more artwork or supplements. But if you make something that you think I'm interested in, let's talk about it. If you want to pay in pretty much any crypto accepted by the Exodus wallet, I'm down for that too. Help me help you people. But that's the show. Big thanks again to Bear. Such an impressive wealth of information and inspiration, really. His podcast is great, too. Check it out. But I'm getting out of here. I've done my part. Your move, medical system manipulators, waveform reality deniers, and holistic model suppressors. Your fucking move. Oh, no. You see. The world isn't random, it's attached to puppet strings Control over everything The nine to five is trying to steal ya Now don't that job seem silly? Hello, can you hear me? Or should I play back recordings? Some spike agency Wish we were younger And free I'll be thankful when it's all exposed The vast conspiracy There's such a difference Between us And the dangerous
But we can't find 